This is a 3CR community radio podcast. In Psychedelia is broadcast every Sunday from 2pm. For more info on anything you hear in the show, head to 3cr.org.au and follow the links to the Encyclopedia program page. This is In Psychedelia. Uh, my name is Nick, and on the program this afternoon, we will be hearing uh, the full panel of the Yarra Drug and Health Forum pre-election uh Forum, uh, which happened on Thursday afternoon in Richmond Town Hall. Uh, we'll be hearing from Fiona Patton from the Reason Party, also Judy Ryan from the Reason Party. Fiona standing for the seat of uh, the inner northern metro in the upper house, and Judy Ryan standing for the seat of Richmond against uh, Richard Wynne from the Australian Labor Party, who was also at the event. Uh, also, uh, Nina Springle from the Greens, uh, who is member for, I think, the South southeast metro um and she is also the green spokesperson on drug issues and stephen jolly uh from the socialists who is uh looking for a seat in the upper house in the inner northern metro um against fiona so that's what we're going to be hearing from um before we do i just wanted to welcome greg denham uh from the yarra drug and health forum the executive director uh to the show greg how you doing I'm good, thanks, Nick. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on um, the show to speak today. No, no problem. Thank you for um, organising the pre-election panel uh, the other day, which was um, very interesting. Um, it seems like there's a lot of drug policy issues coming up, especially from uh, Reason and the Greens, with the Greens' announcement about the um, uh, the costings for pill testing across the country. Yeah, that's right. I think they um, have estimated that it's going to cost $16 million to set the, the 18 sites, I think it was, across the country. So, um, so yeah, so I think that that's, um, that that's an important aspect of any um, drug policy uh, debate that we, um, I guess, get, in, get an economic um, uh, perspective on things. So, um, But, yeah, we also know that the Greens have, have in the past supported the legalisation of cannabis. So... Um, there seems to be a lot of conversation happening um, at the political level around drug policy reform, which is good. Yep. It is good, yes. It does seem like there are, uh, a more serious level of discussion is going on because at the same time as the Greens made this announcement, uh, Reason have also got a uh, a bunch of things costed, including uh, the uh, savings that Victoria would achieve if we decriminalised drug use. And the savings are a conservative estimate, and I think they're in the odd in the range of about two hundred to two hundred and fifty million dollars. And the cost of small educational projects is is a drop in the ocean compared to the the money saved. Um, so it'll be interesting just going through some of these figures. I think Fiona mentioned some um, in the pre-election panel. Oh, actually, before we um, move on with the Greens announcement uh, the other day. Uh, just wanted to play a little section here from uh, the Students for Sensible Drug Policy, Melbourne University uh, president. Oh, no, sorry, he's the president of the organisation now, Nick Kent, um, speaking at the announcement uh, about SSDP's role in pill testing. Um, I'm Nick. I'm the national president of Students for Sensible Drug Policy Australia. Um, we're Australia's youth drug policy organisation that's aiming to empower young people um, in the drug policy debate and connect them with the evidence that is overwhelmingly in support of services like this. Um, so I'm really happy to be here to support the Greens policy um, and to uh, represent young people and to 
um, yeah, contribute um, some perspective that's often not heard in this debate um, and to um, represent the fact that according to an Australian National Council on Drugs survey from 2013, 82% of young people already support this kind of policy. Um, they're, they're already looking at the evidence, they're already hearing the experts that are all overwhelmingly in favour of this kind of reform. And um, it's really important that as this debate proceeds that we empower young, young people to speak up and to own the fact that um, this kind of reform is inevitable and necessary and it's public health best practice and like has already been said, it's all, already underway um, overseas where we see fixed site and mobile pill testing services available to young people and people who use drugs in a range of settings. Um, and attached with an early warning system that can get messages out to young people about dangers in the market and unsafe substances that they might be taking. When we implement policies like this, there's an overwhelming reduction in drug-related harm, there's an overwhelming reduction in the risk of overdose, and there's no evidence to suggest that it actually increases drug use at all. It's evidence-based policy, and we're really happy to support it, and we really look forward to other parties coming on board and getting this over the line. And that the voice there of Nick Kent, President of Students for Sensible, uh, Sensible Drug Policy Australia, speaking at the Greens launch of their pill testing policy. Um, but crossing overseas, because you were recently overseas, Greg, uh, you were in Canada the day before cannabis legalisation happened. That that was a coincidence. You had <laughs> had planned it without that yeah. in mind, I, I assume. But uh, can you tell us a little bit yeah. about your trip to Canada? Uh, it was actually the day after it was legalised. Day after, I, sorry. Oh, sorry, you uh, uh, got got some dodgy reception. Maybe uh, sorry, move. I'll move. Shall I? Yep. Okay. That'll Is that better? Go. That's perfect. So, uh, the Canadian government um, had already legislated to allow um, cannabis basically to be legalised, and uh, the Trudeau government had gone into the previous election. With that commitment, so um, so the way it works basically, the federal government there has oh has and I've you've dropped out again. If you can hear me, yep, yep, you're dropping uh, dropping in and out a bit there. Um, you were saying that the uh, federal government in Canada have provided a framework for legalisation of cannabis. To the provinces, so similar to our states, so um, which allows basically a person to grow four plants for personal use uh, and to go to a dispensary and purchase um, cannabis and also to buy it online. So, um, so the um, the province that I was in, which was Ontario, um, at this stage, all they are allowing people to do is to purchase um, cannabis online so they can buy a certain amount. I'm not sure how much it is. I think it's up to 20 grams or, or thereabouts for around $6 Canadian a gram. So you can go online and purchase it. They're not allowing, um, at this stage, um, to grow your own cannabis until April next year. Um, okay. There are illegal dispensaries which have been operating in Toronto um, for quite some time, yeah. and it's all, there's almost been a de facto um, decriminalisation for quite a while. But um, it, it, it's early days. Uh, the biggest hold-up they found so far is that um, the um, there was a postal strike, which meant the people who had ordered online were delayed receiving their cannabis. But it's openly smoked in Toronto. We um, came across several people out on the street smoking cannabis, so it's it's really quite normal as far as um, 
you know, um, cannabis use is concerned and uh, quite accepted. So, and there was no fuss. Um, one of the things that I, I noticed um, when I was in um, Toronto was when I was at the gym and I was um, doing a bit of exercise, the TV screens were up, and I saw several, in fact, quite a few um, health alerts and warnings um, and other information about cannabis being displayed on um on, on television uh, there, so which is good. Mm. You know, it's good to get that information out. It's good to, to know the government, you know, does issue um, those types of um, alerts and cautions and health cautions and warnings. So um, looks like it's been done in quite a yeah quite a comprehensive way. So um, it's something we obviously should be looking at seriously yeah, here. Absolutely, and it's something for us to keep an eye on as well as it mm. uh, progresses in time. I know that they had uh, shortages with the supply running uh, running out pretty quickly, but I, I suppose those are, are teething errors for a market to work out. Um, we have only got about 30 seconds, but can you also um, talk to us a little bit about the uh, safe injecting uh, facilities that you were touring in Toronto? Yeah, well, they've, they've got several um, injecting rooms. We visited one which um, was um, a program, a smaller program as part of a community health centre, and uh, they've, they've um, really scaled up their supervised injecting facilities. But they're, they're um, unfortunately um, subjected to um, political, some political backlash in some provinces, and um, I know uh, that in some places there's um, concerns about um, whether or not they will um, be be uh, maintained. Uh, they've, they've, they're calling them supervised injecting facilities and also overdose prevention sites. So, um, so yeah, so the, the political pendulum is swinging a little bit more towards the conservative side over there, um, which is a concern. But they've got over 26, I think, injecting rooms over there and consumption sites. So mm. they're, they're quite progressive. But they've also had issues with fentanyl as well. So, yeah. uh, and of course, we're um, hoping that... Um, so our um, injecting room in North Richmond will will continue, um, and if there is a change of government, it won't be um, subjected to a closure which the Liberal Party has threatened. So um, we we don't want that to happen. And with that, we're going to uh, cross to the uh, uh, Yarra Drug and Health Forum pre-election panel uh, with Richard Wynne from the Australian Labor Party, Nina Springle from the Australian Greens, Fiona Patton from the Reason Party, and Stephen Jolly from the Socialists. Was recorded at Richmond Town Hall on Thursday. Uh, Greg uh, Denham was hosting alongside Peter Wern. Uh, and thank you, Greg, for uh, coming on the program. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. The Yarra Drug and Health Forum, we've been running these types of pre-election forums, I think now for 18 years, both uh, at a federal level and a state level. And uh, we've been really pleased about the enormous response that we've always got from uh, candidates. Um, I'm always amazed that people are always wrapped to come and speak and present their uh, their personal and party views at these forums. So we really want to acknowledge the great support that all parties have made to uh, to uh, this uh, this event. We'd also like to say too that um, we were contacted this morning by the Liberal Party of Victoria, Emma Keeley's office, saying that they would not be providing a spokesperson today in line with their decision to not run a candidate in this current state election in this current seat of Richmond. So uh, they, are, they are a no-show. The other thing that I'd like to say, and this is a matter of the record and it's not party political, is that everyone sitting at this table, and including Fiona Patton, are strong supporters of the establishment 
of the uh, supervised, medically supervised injecting facility at North Richmond. And we'd like to acknowledge everybody's uh, work and support in doing that. It's also fair to say that the Liberal Party policy is to close that facility if they are elected to government. That is their stated political uh, position and public policy. So I think in fairness, people need to know that because we are the Yarra Drug and Health Forum and uh, part of our advocacy over more than 20 years has been for a sensible approach to drug policy and evidence-informed practice. So the format's going to be that each speaker is going to be in invited to speak for 10 minutes and I'll keep time of that. And uh, I'll let speakers know after eight minutes that they've got two minutes left. Uh, Mr Richard Wynne will be our first speaker. Ms Nina Springle from the, uh, from the Greens will be our second speaker. Mr Steve Jolly from the, um, the, so the Victorian Socialist Party will be our third speaker. And Fiona Patton from the Reason Party will be our fourth speaker. After the presentations are completed, there'll be a time of Q&A, which Greg uh, Denham, our Executive Officer from the Yarra Drug and Health Forum, will uh, facilitate. So, um, it gives me great pleasure to invite our first speaker to the podium, uh, Mr Richard Wynne from the uh, Australian Labor Party. Richard's had a long and, uh, and uh, distinguished uh, career in uh, local government, former Lord Mayor of Melbourne, and, uh, and also has held the seat of Richmond for 20, no, 19 years. 19 years. Uh, Richard has a background in social work and studied criminology and he's worked at community health and on inner city, inner city public housing estates prior to his political career. Richard was elected in 1999 and has held, that, held the position of Parliamentary Secretary for Justice during the first term of the Brax government and became the Cabinet Secretary after the re-election of that government in 2002. He was elected the member for Richmond in 2000 was re-elected the member for Richmond in 2014 state election and was appointed Minister for Planning in the new Andrews Labor government following its election win. Uh, Richard's also had a long history of uh, working around Indigenous issues and Indigenous rights and in housing. So it's with great pleasure that I invite Richard to the podium. Thanks, So, Peter, thank you very much for your very kind uh, introduction and for the opportunity to have a conversation with uh, uh, people with an interest in uh, alcohol and drug issues. Nina, obviously my parliamentary colleague, I, I welcome her today. Steve, uh, our, well, both our councillor and, of course, candidate, upper house candidate, who's uh, running in the northern, uh, northern metro province uh, for the upper house. and. Uh, in the absence of Fiona, who will be here with us shortly. She, of course, also uh, is one of our parliamentary colleagues as well. Uh, and I'll say a little bit about um, Fiona's work uh, in my presentation today. Um, I'm reminded of the Yarra Drugs and Health Forum uh, and its journey, because it's been a journey, Peter. Oh, and I should also acknowledge Greg, of course, Greg Denham, the, uh, the executive officer of, of the forum. I, uh, I'm reminded of the genesis of the forum because it actually mirrors uh, basically my entire time in public life here in, um, as the representative of the uh, Labor Party in the seat of Richmond. And for all of that time, I think that uh, the forum has had a very particular focus uh, and it's managed its longevity, I think, 
uh, speaks to not only the leadership uh, and the commitment that people like Sam and others um, have provided over that journey, but I think a real sense in which people uh, who often have come together from organisations or from the community with quite disparate views uh, about how to address some of the, some of the social issues uh, that we are confronting in our community, but we're able to both uh, listen uh, and I think acknowledge that at times there were uh, disparate views and try to find a way to, have, to reach a consensus position. Because for many organisations that are loosely bound together, uh, they tend to break away, uh, and this has not been the case. And I've been very pleased to be a part of that journey with you, and indeed we funded the Aerodrug and Health Forum on a number of initiatives uh, over that period of time. But I guess today's about really reflecting to some extent on, on where that journey has come from and what uh, my party has been doing uh, in relation to making commitments uh, around alcohol and uh, drug investment. And I think it, it is best epitomised by uh, what we achieved in the 2018-19 budget, and this is really the fantastic work uh, of my colleague Martin Foley. Uh, it includes a record investment of nearly $260 million in drug services, an increase of 57% over the last four budgets. Uh, and in this budget, uh, in that budget, we announced $57 million in new investment, uh, which will support the, uh, the development of a new uh, residential treatment facility in the Grampians and three new residential uh, rehabilitation facilities in regional Victoria, uh, and also uh, supporting minor infrastructure and capital works in, in existing facilities. Uh, particularly those that are dealing with, obviously, mental health and drug issues. Uh, you'll all be well aware of our $184 million ICE action plan, and that's rolling out across Victoria. And so, of course, is our $87 million drug rehabilitation uh, plan. And the centrepiece of that plan, I don't need to tell any of you here what that's about, it is, of course, 100 <coughs> new residential rehab beds, which, uh, which have opened uh, earlier this year. This means, uh, with all of our investments over the last three years, the government has committed more than double the number of residential rehabilitation beds available in Victoria. We commenced the four-year term with 208 beds in, in late 2014, uh, and with this, uh, with this investment, we will have 470 beds across Victoria. Our strategy, pretty much for the whole of our uh, whole of my time uh, in in, um, in government, has been about harm minimisation. I mean, that's essentially been the public policy position that we have taken, and we've done a lot of work in that space, whether it's needle and syringe programs uh, and and the like. Uh, we think that. Uh, and I know that there's been in incredible advocacy for the medically supervised injecting facility. Uh, and I know just how passionate people like Greg were, and I have to acknowledge Greg, I mean, he and I have had many uh, tough conversations about, um, from his point of view and from the Yarra Drugs and Health Forum, why the hell does this government not support it? Uh, and uh, I guess there are a, a range of ways that uh, you can go about changing public policy. And uh, I think it is fair to say, uh, and I think the Premier himself acknowledged uh, that he changed his position. And he changed his position on the basis of data 
and on the basis of the best uh, research and advice that he could be provided with. And I commend him for that. Uh, what role I may have played in assisting him in his thinking around that, well, that's for others to judge. But uh, the reality is that we did change our position uh, and it's a position that I am immensely proud of. Uh, I commenced my advocacy for a medically supervised uh, injecting facility in 1999. It was in fact on the first pamphlet that I actually put out. Uh, so I've travelled that road uh, and it's been a, a hard road to travel, but it's one uh, that I think um, is reaping success. A couple of elements of that. Uh, in talking to the medical director, Nico Clark, who's just a superb person, uh, the number of people who are visiting the facility uh, is in excess of what they thought uh, they might, uh, might get coming in. Secondly, uh, the number of resuscitations is, I think, getting towards 200 now. Uh, now, in, in, in the context of uh, Nico's experience, he, he would argue that many of those people would have died. Many of those people would have died. And we can't forget that prior to the opening of this facility, 35 people died last year in and around the North Richmond public housing estate and died needless, cruel, sad and lonely deaths. And that's something that I think uh, is we want to actually put into the past. We acknowledge it, but we want to put that into the past. Because the reality is this facility is saving people's lives. Uh, the other beautiful thing about it is that uh, because this is a wraparound service, the difference between us and New South Wales uh, facility is that theirs is a standalone uh, super, supervised facility. We have all of the wraparound services available so the people who are accessing uh, the facility can then also go and see the doctors if they've got a hepatitis issue. They can go and talk to the social workers. They go and talk to the housing support workers so that they can actually uh, what uh, Demos Kruskos, the CEO of, of the facility of the community health centre, says, help people on the road to recovery, because that's ultimately what we're about: saving people's lives, but saying there are other alternatives available to you than continuing on with um, uh, with uh, with the uh, behaviours that, that many of them have exhibited. That's not to say that it's all a bed of roses, but I, but I do want to indicate that. Uh, certainly from the point of view of the school, um, uh, the, the principal of the school and the school council have been not only supportive, they are very, very pleased with uh, what the facility has meant in terms of changing behaviours around the school. I remember uh, somebody coming up to me at a street store. Uh, a gentleman came up to me and he said, I want to talk to you about the supervising injecting facility. And he said, I thought, oh, here we go. He said, I had to resuscitate somebody in the grounds of the school. People were shooting up in the car park. That is no longer the case. I mean, that is, they are delighted by this. Uh, the detritus and, and the needles and so forth, I think we've got a fair way to go still. The pickup program is going okay, but there is still a lot of pockets where um, uh, people are inappropriately disposing of their syringes, uh, so we have to do better in that. There are still a lot of people who are, in fact, um, not using the facility and, and still using back lanes uh, and we have to be more aggressive I think in our outreach to those people uh, because and some of the behaviours are really quite inappropriate. 
So there's a, there's a long way to go, but I think the, the early suggestions from my point of view, and indeed I think from the, from the facility and the health centre itself, uh, is that uh, we are doing well. Uh, we, we certainly are uh, supporting more people than what uh, was anticipated, uh, and I'm really pleased uh, that uh, our government is committed to this project for two, uh, two years initially and uh, potentially a further, a further year. It will be independently assessed uh, and that's entirely appropriate. Uh, obviously, if the election does not travel uh, in the way that I hope it will travel, it will be a very sad day if the alternative government comes in as they have committed to and close a much needed facility in our area which is saving people's lives. Thank you. It's with great pleasure I invite uh, Nina Springle to the uh, podium. Nina became the first Greens MP to represent the south-eastern metropolitan region in Victoria's Parliament in 2014. She brings over a decade's experience in social justice, women's rights, public health and community development. In fact, I know personally that Nina was very active in the south-east of Melbourne in uh, community campaigning and community activity and advocacy. Nina has worked as a consultant in the community and education sector for over a decade. She brings dedication to healthy outcomes in the community to everything she does, whether it's developing policy for the Centre for Excellence for Child and Family Welfare, acting CEO of um, Asbestos Wise or writing educational resources for the TAFE Centre. Nina is well established in the southeast of Melbourne where she raises her children and in the family home built by her grandfather in the 1960s. She loves the diversity of the electorate which represents the, so the full social and economic range of, Mel of uh, multicultural Melbourne. Nina is also the, uh, uh, the drug and alcohol spokesperson for the Greens. Welcome Nina. Thank you very much. Uh, and I would like to start by acknowledging that we meet here on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Um, listening to Richard uh, talk uh, about um, the health and well-being of communities and, and how important harm minimisation is in terms of drug and alcohol um, has made me rethink my speech. I do have a, a very prepared speech here and I will, I will, I will point to that towards the end. Um, but I, I want to talk a little bit about um, why it is so important that we start to redirect our attention away from law and order in relation to drug and alcohol uh, use and, and towards a health perspective um, and an approach to how we deal with these problems in our community. And, and I suppose I'm going to go right back um, to a personal story of mine, which is that um, my parents were heroin addicts in the 70s. Um, and I lived with, I'm the only child of, the, of, of that partnership, and I lived with the stigma of being the child of two heroin addicts for a long, long time. And in the end uh, of my father's life, he died when I was 23, so it was over 20 years ago, um, it was a very, very drawn out, painful and unpleasant death. He died of hepatitis C and cirrhosis of the liver, because after he finished uh, as a, uh, using heroin, he, he turned to alcohol, which is 
often a very common thing for uh, people who have addictive personalities. They'll go from one, you know, one drug to another. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Um, but as a family member who supported someone through that experience, it was debilitating in many ways. And for that very reason alone, I think, we can say um, these issues don't just impact the addict or the user, but all of the people around them, their family, their friends, their community, and on and on and on. And for that reason alone, if nothing else, we need to start re-diverting our attention away from law and order. Not only does it not really work, but it's uh, expensive and it, and it perpetuates this cycle that, that, we, that we can see from where we are right now, it doesn't work. And so I congratulate the government for their investment in, um, the, you know, the substantial investments they've made over the last year or two into um, this, this area of public policy. I sat on the inquiry with Fiona into the medically supervised injecting room um, and, I mean, you know, it was, it was a little bit like preaching to the, to the converted, to be perfectly honest, because I did go in very supportive of that particular facility. And, and you know, for, coming from my background, you would probably think that that would be the case. Um, as is pointed out, I, I had a substantial experience out in the southeast working in the youth justice space as well. So you've got, um, you know, a, a, a big drug and alcohol misuse problem within a young cohort of people out there that, that you know, and all of those uh, issues around mental health and homelessness and family violence and a whole bunch of other things are intertwined with that. And we actually need to start looking at these issues holistically. We can't look at them in isolation. And so it was very, very uh, gratifying when the um, government changed their policy and opened the, the centre. Um, and I, you know, the stats are very um, pleasing to hear in such a short amount of time. Um, and so I suppose from my perspective, the Greens are very much of the opinion that we're still uh, focusing far too much on law and order. And that's costing us money and it's not particularly effective. At a national level, 66% of government expenditure is allocated to law enforcement when it comes to drug and alcohol. 21% to treatment and 9% to prevention, 2% to harm reduction. We really need to flip that. We really, really need to flip that. And until we start spending more on uh, the other areas of public health other than law enforcement, the longer it will take for us to see outcomes. So our platform going into this election is very much genuinely about focusing on a harm minimisation approach to um, drug and alcohol. Um, we, find we need to start getting serious about the, the social um, and e economic factors that in, in influence risk behaviour and the, and the health of drug users. And so our platform really does centre around moving in that direction. It's not a catch-all, it's not a fix-all, but it is, we are looking at, at some, some interventions that will actually start that transition over to a genuine public health perspective. There's been some particularly impressive and extensive policy work that's come out of the sector in the past years, including from YSAS and from VADA and many others. They outline the huge challenges we face and propose comprehensive solutions at a systemic level. And so we really do we support those recommendations that have been put forward by those organisations, particularly VADA's election priority statements and YSAS's 10-point plan. 
Both organisations outline progressive big picture reform and that def definitely needs to happen. We're absolutely uh, committed to expanding the safe injecting facilities, building on experience of Richmond and a clear need in other parts of Melbourne and regionally as well. The Greens absolutely support YSAS's push for expanding and improving AOD services and support for young people. Inadequate services are resulting in vulnerable people facing more complex and urgent problems and addiction as time goes on and it's completely unsustainable. I think we all, we all can see that. And of course it isn't just impacting, as I said, on themselves but their families and their communities. Communities experience knock-on effects and the health and social, injusti social injustice costs borne by the government are huge. Services for young people have to be a priority and there are other areas where we're falling short. Proper planning for growth in population and demand services has to be a priority and we're seeing that in public policy across the board, particularly in the outer regions where there are so few services that people actually have to come in centrally to actually get the support that they need. Um, we're also committed uh, if, to some other, I guess, um, more broad uh, reforms, including the legalisation of cannabis for adult recreational use, which we're progressing through the uh, federal parliament, and it will be a priority for us at a state level going into the next uh, term of government. Um, and we would also like to uh, see some priority given to the proposal around um, more drug and alcohol services in the interface councils. And that's certainly around um, that lack of services that, I'm that I was talking about, the, la the lack of access, that, you know, access and equity that people, particularly young people in the interface councils are experiencing, um, and also for called communities to have um, culturally specific services for them to be able to address their issues. Um, we're also advocating for two new drug courts in Melbourne's west and in regional Victoria. Um, there's good evidence to suggest that um, there's, uh, that, that, that drug courts do lower the reoffending re and recidivism rates in, um, in young people and um, drug users, and we really need to start looking at different ways of, of allowing those people to get the help they need through the justice system. Um, we'd also like to tighten the restrictions on both alcohol advertising and incentives to buy in bulk. And again, that's a real issue in the suburbs where there are these big big alcohol barns that have these, these big discounts on alcohol and, and not a lot else to do, you know. I mean, I'm the mother of two teenagers and there's not a lot out there for, for kids to do when they're at a loose end. Um, we'd also prohibit liquor licensees from irresponsibly advertising or promoting their business or products, including through excessive price discounts, bulk purchase discounts, shopper docket promotions and gift purchases. I'd also like to say that we, um, we would like to see in Victoria, as they have just done in the ACT, um, a trial on pill testing at festivals, but also more broadly in the community, because we also know that that is another measure that saves lives categorically. So in, in closing, I think we do have a lot to be optimistic about. The government have done some good things in this term of government in terms of injection of resources into the sector, but there's a lot more that needs to be done. And we do need to flip our focus on how we're addressing these issues broadly as a community. Thank you. This is In Psychedelia on 3CR 855 AM, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. 
My name's Nick. You are listening to In Psychedelia, and right now you're hearing from the pre-election panel with the Victorian election just ooh, a week and a half away. Uh, the pre-election panel was hosted by the Yarra Drug and Health Forum uh, and included uh, Fiona Patton as a last-minute addition, who you'll be hearing from soon, but also Judy Ryan from the Reason Party, uh, Richard Wynne from the Australian Labor, pa- Australian Labor Party, Stephen Jolly from the uh, Victorian Socialists, and uh, Nina Springle uh, from the Greens. Uh, I'll hand it over now to Peter Wern from YSAS. Thanks, Nana. Uh, uh, Steve Jolly probably doesn't need a lot of uh, introduction because he's well known in the city of Yarra. And uh, Steve is uh, running for the Upper House electorate of Northern Metro for the Victorian Socialist Party. Steve is a Yarra councillor, community campaigner and construction worker and has an extensive background in community activism. Steve, Steve formed the Victorian Socialist to give a socialist voice in the Victorian Parliament. Victorian Socialist Party are running candidates in upper house seats across the state, including in Western Victoria, and on top of that they are running eight in 18 lower house seats. Drug law reform and uh, demilitarisation of policing are key goals for his party. I'd also like to say that Steve has a, had a long history of uh, campaigning for a supervised injecting facility, and I, I think you actually set up a, a, uh, a pop-up one in the very uh, mid mid 90s, in uh, around not far from here, so Steve's well known to the uh, city of Yarra, and I invite Steve uh, up here to uh, present on the uh, behalf of his party. Um, I don't know what your daytime job is, but you could get a job in PR anytime. I'm telling you. Um, first up, I just want to, on behalf of Yarra Council, and it's very very rare I can say that. As a socialist on Yarra Council, we've got the, you know, in many ways the most politically divided council in Australia. We very rarely come together and unify consistently from the start to the end of a debate. But around the issue of supervised injecting facilities, the Labor councillors, the Green councillors, the socialist councillors, the independent councillors have been rock solid with the community. I noticed Judy in the audience, who's played a key role in organising the community in Abbotsford for this, all the health professionals, and of course, not least, the state government, who at the end of the day had to give it the okay. The shame is that it took so long. Back in 1998, 1999, the heroin industry wasn't in Victoria Street, it was in Smith Street. We had at the bottom of the Herald Sun, not only as you still do to this day, the road toll, but it got so bad in those last two years of the 1990s that they had next to it the heroin toll. And I think on one year it was exactly the same, or maybe the, the heroin was more. And as, the, as, as you referred to, a group of locals established a community campaign for heroin reform. I was involved with that. Um, and because the epicentre was, as I said, Smith Street, but in particular the corner of Smith Street and Otter Street. There's a very fancy toilet there now, public toilet. Not so fancy, but I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. But it's, it's a council toilet. It's a council toilet, so that's why I had to cover my backside there. Excuse the pun. Cover but, um, but the back in the day, it was a red brick, horrific, old school, like 1800-style toilet. And that, in, in, in a sense, was where it was an unsupervised injecting facility. And we saw seven young people die in that block. And I, with a lot of locals back in 1999, 
organised what was probably the shortest rally in the history of rallies. We marched from what was then Safeway, what's now Woolies, maybe 60 metres to, uh, to a safe ejection facility. And as you referred to, it wasn't really a pop-up, but we had a nurse and a doctor, an on-site nurse and a doctor outside. And at the time, Kennett was the Premier. And Steve Brax was the leader of the Labour Party, a leader, you know, leader of the opposition. And he said, if elected, we'll, we'll set up a safe injecting facility. And one was established in a church in the CBD, ready to rock and roll, if you remember back then. Then the very unexpected thing happened, which nobody expected. Uh, Labour won the election. Um, and the very first thing that happened is that that policy went down the gurgler. So we've waited a long, long time for this safe injecting facility. And over the course of the period, from when it was promised in the first place, and when we got it, 2,235 Victorians died of heroin overdoses. I'm not suggesting, by the way, that a safe injected facility in Richmond, if it had been established in 1999, would have saved all those lives, but it would have saved some of them. I don't know about you, but I spent a lot of time over those years going to funerals of friends who'd OD'd because of heroin. And I think it's absolutely outrageous that anyone in politics could ever put votes or perceived loss of votes ahead of saving people's lives. Because I'm absolutely convinced that Richard, not only Richard, but the vast majority of the Labour Party MPs actually supported the safety facility right from the start because they're very intelligent people. But whatever decision was made internally was a shame, but better late than never. In terms of what we do from here on in, the low-hanging fruit, as Nina suggested, is pill testing. In my ward, Fitzroy Collingwood, the nighttime economy, you can buy a pill um, for $25 a pop. Um, old school ecstasy tablets back on the market last weekend, $25. Cheaper than a packet of smokes, cheaper than a round of drinks at a fancy bar in Fitzroy, a lot cheaper than a round of drinks in a fancy bar in Fitzroy. The good news, of course, is they kill a lot fewer people than cigarettes and alcohol, and I don't need to tell you about the hypocrisy that we're actually sitting here tonight talking about illicit drug use when the big killers are alcohol and cigarettes. 17,000 a year from cigarettes, 6,000 a year from alcohol. But leaving that aside, because you know that better than I do, um, the, the bad news is that no one really knows what's in those pills. Not the consumer, not even the dealer. The only person who knows what's in those pills is the person who made them. And when you're talking about illicit drug manufacturing, it's capitalism on steroids. It's totally run by the private market. There's zero government regulation. And God knows what, and that's why every year, we have ODs at festivals, at nightclubs, and especially at day one of CBD festivals, when the police, probably under political pressure, turn up on day one with the dogs, and kids panic, swallow the tablets, five or six at a pop, and, 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 and we have incidents, as we had last summer, we've had every summer. So I agree with what's happened in the ACT. I agree with what's happened in Portugal and other places of the world. We desperately need pill testing. Um, we've organized, um, when I say we, the, the socialists have organized over the past couple of years, uh, concerts, um, which our friend in the back here from 3CR and many others have been involved with, to raise money for those people who are actually very bravely, illegally pill testing um, in the community. And I'll say no more than that. Um, but that shouldn't have to happen. That should be done. It's just a I mean, if I went out and s started selling alcohol illicitly, which is a very Irish tradition, I have to tell you, um, I would be charged because that could potentially kill people. If I started using you know, illegally imported tobacco from Indonesia or wherever and started selling it as they do on the high rise, that's illegal. But selling a pill, uh, you know, it, no, no one's checking what's in the pills today because pill testing is beyond the pale of the, uh, of the current um, political elite. So that's something that I think is very necessary. The last thing I want to say is you cannot look 
at drug policy in isolation from the law and order agenda and from the, the, uh, um, the whole debate around prisons and the whole debate about public health and the need for, for public health. For example, um, we have um, here in Victoria um, uh, a prison population that's increased by 70% in the last decade. Uh, it's the highest rate of incarceration in this state now since 1897, and we're spending a billion dollars a year on our prisons. The money we spent on Lara at the state, the government announced it's on the Lara jail at the last state budget, I've seen the age, they might be topping that up, but maybe that's the Liberals, was $689.5 million. That's twice the spend on new schools, very welcome spend, I have to say, on new schools by the Labour government. It's twice that amount has gone into Lara. If you compare that to the $6 million that people like Smart Justice get. So, what we've got right now in Victoria, and it's right throughout the Western world, it's, it's in America, it's in Ireland, is that prisons have become warehouses of people who need help. They need housing, they need healthcare, and so on and so forth. 35% um, of people in prison in Victoria are homeless or were homeless before they went into jail. 46% have got mental health issues, and 44% have taken are intravenous drug users. So, um, and also there's a class issue. Representing as I do as a ward councillor, obviously Richard has a broader area that he covers as, as a local MP, but I, I, I represent Fitzroy and the Carlton, sorry, the Fitzroy and the Collingwood estate. And there's a perception on that estate that drug policy is not only a class issue, but also a racial issue. When you look at the fact that 87% of arrests, uh, there's been an increase in 87% over the last 10 years of arrests for drug related offences, but a decrease in arrests for trafficking. People feel that it's totally hypocritical and they've been targeted. So I think what we need is, um, well, not in any order of priority, but the first thing we need is to look at diversionary programs in our prison system, uh, in, our, in our justice system. You're six to 15, depending on what report you read, six to 15 times more likely not to be reincarcerated if you're on a diversionary program than if you go to jail and come out again. It's a no-brainer, it has to happen. The only reason it doesn't happen is that it's not very sexy with the Herald Sun and some voters, but I think we need to get over that and, and be brave. Um, the other thing that we need to do is, uh, is, uh, uh, um, is support um, our community health centres, uh, support treatment. But the rehabilitation rate here in, um, in Victoria, uh, the, the number of rehab beds is 0.69 per, uh, per 10,000. It's one of the lowest in Australia. So the, the question of funding public health, all of these things are interlinked. Um, we need, in my opinion, about 200 more rehab beds to, to somewhat sort of start meeting the need um, and some of the work that VAPA and, and the Union Professional Health Workers Union, that some of you will be members of on this, I think is second to none. The last thing I'll say, the very last thing I'll say is that, look, I'll, I'll stick my neck out here and it's not necessarily the policy of my party, Victorian Socialists, which is an alliance, a coalition, a new coalition of progressive forces of you know, people from crikey and unions and community groups and socialist groups all come together to try and have a breakthrough for socialists in the upper house. But my personal opinion, is that we've got to decriminalise drugs. We'll never stop people smoking. We'll never, well, maybe that, you know, I'll give you that. But we'll never stop people drinking alcohol. We'll never stop people gambling. We'll never stop people taking drugs. It's just a matter of fact. So therefore, we've got to, we've got to grow up. And we've got to do like what we do with cigarettes and alcohol. Limit it to people over the age of 18. Limit to where you can buy it. Stop any advertising or limit any advertising. Tax it. And we've just got to start getting real. And as long as we have a law and order approach to drugs, we're going to be here year in, year out. And all of this stuff, like pill testing and the safe injective facility, really is just around the edges. Very welcome. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, you know, trust me, I know how important it is. But really, we've got to be really, really brave here and start treating illicit drugs the same way as we treat alcohol 
and uh, cigarettes. It's not necessarily the position of my party, but it's definitely my position. I'll leave it at that. Thank you. Um, look, unfortunately, uh, Fiona Patton has been unable to attend, but we do have uh, the Reason Party's candidate for Richmond here, Ms Judy Ryan. I'd like to welcome Judy to the, uh, to the podium. She's agreed to, uh, in an unprepared way, give a, give a brief speak, uh, talk. Um, I just want to acknowledge uh, Judy's work. Judy a, a, has been a very committed resident in Abbotsford to the issue of reducing the harm of drugs, especially injecting drugs in that area and in the area of North Richmond. And uh, it, is, it, is, um, it is not a, a ridiculous thing to say that her community work with her neighbours and her friends in that area led to the establishment in part of the injecting room. And that needs to be acknowledged, Judy. And so Judy has been a fellow traveller of activism for many people here, including everybody on the panel. So welcome to the podium. Thanks, Peter. And look, it's great to be here. I'm no Fiona Patton. <laughs> I just want to, um, to mention her. Um, and I also, uh, Richard and Nina and um, Steve. Steve, yeah. And what you've said, and it's really interesting sitting as an as a observer and in the audience. Look, I'm pretty much in agreement with all of you actually, um, and it's obviously a pretty, um, we're all on the same program here. But uh, I really, um, everybody's spoken about the inject medically supervised injecting room and, um, and pretty much everything's been said, but I, I really think one of the things upon reflection is um, how important it is that governments listen to people. Because I've, I think one of the issues for me was when we were uh, organising the community campaign is often communities are a long way ahead of politicians with a lot of social issues. I mean, you can't get anything more obvious than the marriage equality issue, which should have happened years and years and years ago, and we shouldn't have waited for a postal vote for that. So, um, so none of us out here in community land are surprised with any of this stuff. Sometimes politicians really are. And, and I sort of don't get that. Um, so maybe if I happen to um, get up on the 24th of November, I might get some understanding of why they are fearful of things that really just make sense to the rest of us. Um, to that end, to that end, I also talk about uh, think about pill testing. Um, our residence group was part of Matt Knopf's effort in um, February when they approached Groove in the Mood to get that happening up there. We helped them with PR. They used our um, You Talk, We Die slogan. Uh, we were very proud of that involvement uh, and it was a great success and uh, we really support that as a harm, key harm minimisation strategy and not just uh, the Reason Party but also our residence group. So in the event that I don't get up on the 24th of November, that is something that we will pursue with, with vigour. Uh, the other thing too is I know that the um, Labor government isn't interested at this point in more licences for medically supervised injecting centres, but we have been contacted 
by quite a few community groups who disagree with that decision and we will be working very closely with them in terms of ensuring that there is more than one medically supervised injecting centre in Victoria uh, in the next couple of years. There needs to be more. Uh, they work. We know that. None of us are surprised. None of you are surprised. None of you are surprised that people's lives are being saved. And the other really amazing uh, consequence of it, of course, is the reduction in the call out of uh, ambulance services. And I think that is absolutely key here. Uh, and not only that, with the um, I'm on the local reference group uh, for that um, for the trial, and uh, the fascinating thing for the report, and it's anecdotal yet. I mean, they're gathering all the official data. Is that uh, the ordering of naloxone has plummeted? You know, and if you just needed one key thing, I mean, the residents will tell you the ambulances have stopped because it's no longer like living in Beirut. Oh, hello. <laughs> Hi there. Um, yeah, it's no longer like yeah, no longer like living in Beirut in North Richmond and Abbotsford, and I'm really not overstating that. It really has been a shocking place to live for residents and particularly little children and the elderly. But to hear ambulance workers talk about how the impact that it's had on their lives and the fact that they're now redirected to other members of the community is key. And so it then also fits into the law and order issue. This is a health issue. And it's not just about people with addiction, but it's about the broader community who need those services. And we need to seriously look at this stuff. And I'm also with Steve on this decriminalisation. It's just such a no-brainer. And I think there's a bit of an appetite for it out there. There's evidence, I mean, Fiona's travelled, many others here have travelled around the world, many of you have, I haven't, but I've read a lot of stuff. I look at the justice reinvestment that's being done in Texas, and they're looking at the, the way they jail people. Well, let's look at divert, diverting some of those funds into something that really works for people. We just have to be brave, you know? That's what it takes, and it's up to us. Politicians, legislators, you guys, residents, and don't be scared. That's it. Okay, so um, in the interests of uh, fairness, uh, Judy spoke on behalf of the, the Reason Party, but I'd like to invite you, Fiona, up to the panel. Um, if it's okay with the other panellists, is there one minute that you'd like to say yes. something? Okay, I'll give you one minute, but we can't have First everyone double up. Okay. okay, one minute. One minute. No, I just, all I want to say, and I, I, I suspect Judy possibly touched on it, but we've, for this election, we've gone to the Parliamentary Budget Office and asked them how much would it cost to decriminalise the use and possession of drugs? Um, now, I'm happy to give you more details about it, but they said, it will save us um, $168 million. And we said, how much would it cost if you legalised cannabis and regulated it? And they said, it would leave us with uh, $204 million better off. Now, these figures looked at purely the, the enforcement side of it. They didn't look at the health benefits. They didn't look at the downstream effects of decriminalisation and the ability for people to speak honestly about drug use and the ability for us to speak to people around drug use um, prior, hopefully, to it becoming problematic. We did a costing on pill testing 
a pill testing trial over eight festivals, um, a hydromorphone trial, and um, and an ex and a Sibfys injection centre in, in St Kilda. Twenty four million dollars that would cost. That's it to save those lives. Thanks. And the final voice you heard from there was Fiona Patton, leader of the Reason Party and also contending the upper metro region, uh, upper northern metro region in the upcoming Victorian election. This is in Psychedelia and you have been listening to a full broadcast of the pre-election panel from the Yarra Drug and Health Forum, uh, which was held on Thursday evening on the 8th of November. Not too much on the horizon over the next week other than uh, more pre-election things that we'll certainly be keeping our eye on. It's also festival season now, so we'll be keeping our ear to the ground on what's going on uh, around festivals. And um, we're getting close to the end of the year, so we've got a few specials coming up for the uh, final shows for the end of the year. Uh, But until then, please do uh, visit 3cr.org.au, follow the links to the Encyclopedia program page, and subscribe to the podcast. New episodes are going up all the time, and our episode uh, broadcast today will be available by Wednesday on the website, 3cr.org.au. My name has been Nick, will still be Nick, but I'm going to leave you there, and Queering the Air are up next. See you later. This is In Psychedelia. Comments, complaints or contributions are welcome. Jump on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au and head to the In Psychedelia program page. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email. In Psychedelia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, DirectLine provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. In Psychedelia, we'll be back on 3CR from 2pm next Sunday. You've been listening to a 3CR community radio podcast of Encyclopedia. Find us on Facebook and Twitter.